Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ronald Olivier on finding hope and restoration while serving 27 years in prison. And I said, I said, I, I have absolutely no excuse. I said it was very senseless. Um, it was very um, stupid of me, one of the worst decisions I ever made. I said, I just hope you can find it somewhere in your heart to forgive me. And she said, oh, man, she said, I don't hate you. She's saying, I forgive you, mm. and I believe you deserve a second chance. Um, wow. Powerful, oh, man. And so um, even though I was handcuffed in shackles, man, I, I felt so liberated. I felt like those things came off of me. Ronald Olivier next. Following a troubled, violent youth, Ronald Olivier was sentenced to life in prison without parole, but after 27 years, he was amazingly released. His story is one of faith, patience, and the boundless mercy of God. Today, he is client advocate with the Louisiana Parole Project. He tells his redemptive story in 27 Summers, My Journey to Freedom, Forgiveness, and Redemption During My Time in Angola Prison. Ronald, you were released in 2018. There's obviously a big story here. Why'd you want to tell it? Man, I, I really wanted to tell my story. I really um, started writing a book when I was in prison and, and just knew that one day I'd get out and during this time, um, didn't have any light at the end of the tunnel, just to end what, you know, resolved that someday I'd get out and just wanted to share my story. Um, Never knew it to be on this this scale, but but anyway, um, when I got out, um, Jim Simler got a hold of me, and you know I was so used to in the prison preaching and teaching God's word, I never really shared my story, hmm. and he had me to come to Brooklyn Tabernacle and and share my story, and I saw the response to it, and that even man just made me even more to want to put it in a book where I can go, man, anywhere in the world. Now, I've got to ask you about the title uh, right off the bat, 27 Summers. Somehow, in, in prison communication, that's how you talk about. Yes. Can you tell us tell us about that? Yes. And so a lot of guys, they measure their times and seasons rather than in years or, or days. Um, and they're saying, man, I've spent 27 summers. I know a guy who um, was there like 43 years. He said he spent 43 winters mm. there, you know. And so they kind of, you know, not everybody, but it's it's um, very common for you to measure your time that you're there in seasons. I, I think it hits different when you're saying summers rather than years or, or, or winters or falls. You were involved in crime obviously from a young age in in uh louisiana in new orleans i, I believe yes w can you talk a, a little bit about that and and what led to your conviction well um i'm from i'm a native of new orleans louisiana and um grew up in a real 
poverty-stricken area. Um, I can remember when we moved from out of the seven ward to the eight ward. New Orleans is kind of separated and divided into different wards. Um, and we moved to the eight ward, and I can remember um, so vividly. It was a real nice neighborhood, and I used to stand on the porch and feed the birds. Mm-hmm. And but by the time the late um 1980s man there was this big huge transition that took place um the 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 crack epidemic came and completely destroyed the neighborhood you know along with 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 drugs always follows violence and so i started seeing that um real regular um and i can remember during that period on the birds wouldn't even come out anymore, you know. Hmm. And also during that time, right before that transition, my my dad, who was my hero and still is, have a real great relationship with my father. Um, man, he was making a transition and moving to Jacksonville, Florida, where he resides now. And I always spent weekends with him, summers and and um some holidays and even one school year and did it vice versa with my mother and um he was always around you know and so now he's moving to jacksonville florida you know and i saw that my little teenage mind couldn't process that you know i was very angry um i was i was real hurt that turned into anger and i i really felt like i was being abandoned and so now um, he leaves and this crack epidemic takes place. And and so um, the drug dealers begin to be my hero and some someone I aspire to be. And and so the streets begin to fall to me. And like any kid, man, you be you become, you know, what you see rather than what you hear. And so it was it was always constant um, gunshots. You hear um, I was accustomed to. Uh, or sirens, you know, or the police. And, and so that became my norm. You know, even when I wasn't around that, I felt uncomfortable when it was quiet, you know, when I was in a in a stable and good um environment. And so um that led me to um man, I, I got in an altercation with a guy and um me and a couple of friends, we jumped him. We and so he sees us Christmas Day um, on Canal Street. Um, next time he sees us, we kind of outnumbered, and one thing led to another. Shots, shots was fired, and um, two guys ended up in the pool above. One, one died, and one survived. And and I was the perpetrator. You know, I was the man with the gun that was smoking. And so this, at this time, I'm 16 years old. So now um, I find myself in a juvenile facility and I kind of thought it was going to happen like it always happened. You know, I had been in trouble before, little minor things, um, battery, um, I think it was um, simple robbery or something. And mama just, my mother just come sign me out, uh, some adult. And I, I can remember so um, vividly that, man, I was waiting for my mother to sign me out of that. Mm. And and mom couldn't sign me out of that and and so after a few um visits to the juvenile court they um they end up transferring me um to the adult courts and now 
Um, by this time, I'm 17, and now I'm facing the death penalty. I'm charged with first-degree murder at the age of 17, and I'm facing the death penalty. And you uh, eventually were, uh, you received a sentence uh, of life without yes. parole, uh, right? Second-degree murder, as I understand it, and you were, yes. and you were uh, sentenced to Louisiana State Penitentiary. It's known as Angola. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about Angola? I mean, it's known for a lot of different things, but uh, as you were going there uh, and, and, as you, yes. and as you arrived. Yes, just, just want to rewind just a little bit. Uh, okay. Because this is a very important part of my, my, my story. While the jury was deliberating, um, I'm facing this death penalty. Oh, man, everything got real to me. They put me in a holding tank all along. And I could still hear the gate shut and the, t the keys turn and the guard's footstep begin to fade out until I was alone there. And man, the weight of everything came down on me. I began to realize, okay, there's 12 people right now making the decision whether I live or die. And, and I began to hear, and I believe it was God using my mother's voice. And I can hear her saying, um, um, baby, if you ever in trouble, that I can't get you out, you you call on Jesus. Mm. And in that moment, I got on my knees and began to cry out to God. I was crying. I was scared. You know, I didn't want to die. And so I prayed this prayer, a very simple prayer. And I, I made a deal with God. People say, you don't make deal with God. I made a deal. <laughs> I said, and my prayer was, Lord, if you don't let them kill me, I promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life. And for the first time in my life, I experienced the peace of God. There was a calmness that came over me. I didn't know what it was, but I just had this inward assurance that I was going to be okay. And so the, um, the jury came back with a guilty verdict of the, the lesser offense, the responsive verdict, which is second-degree murder, and it carried a mandatory life sentence without benefits of parole or probation. In layman's terms, you die in prison. And... And so that's the sentence that's handed on to me. But I, I like to say it like this. In that holding tank, man, I received two life sentences. <laughs> the state was giving me a life sentence with no benefits. But God was giving me a life sentence with so many benefits that it, he reminds you in his word to not forget them. <laughs> and so um, and so here it is. I'm on my way to Angola. Um, man, a very scary road. Um. I heard all the stories about it. Angola was labeled as the, the bloodiest prison in the nation. And they preyed upon the young um, guys that came. And so um, guys who were young, they were, they were, they were rape them. You know, they would turn them out. They you know, make them their girlfriends and their slaves. They wash their clothes or what have you. And, and so I made up my mind on the way on the bus on a long snake, snake road. It's 20 miles. I said, man, um, I'm, I'm going to this prison. I'm, you know, I'm going in the gate of man and I'm going to leave out a man. Uh, whether I'm walking or I'm sent home in a box, you know. And so, um, man, I went there with this type of chip on my shoulder and, and challenging anything I thought that was, that was wrong, you know. And a lot of times I had got it, gotten it wrong, but but just wanted to know guys where I stood, 
know where I stood and that I was going to be a man and and thought I was doing all this because I was bad. I was ready to die or whatever. And but um, when I look back on it, man, God was protecting me. And amazingly, man, he was orchestrating this this whole thing. And um, I end up going around a lot of guys who was willing to help me and not hurt me. Hmm. And so when I went there, I found a lot of men of God. I'm talking about who in the world, who was pastors. I'm talking about some of the greatest men of God you would ever know. And so now um, they begin to disciple me because I, I couldn't understand what happened to me. You know, I know I was different. I know something happened to me in that cell because even though I was doing some of the same things, still talking the same way, um, now there was this conviction I felt uncomfortable about it mm-hmm. you know what was comfortable was being uncomfortable now and so um man they began to share with me how important it was for me to get in my word and renew my mind my that my 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 mind had to get updated to what happened in my spirit and how important it was to fellowship and go to church and and develop a prayer life and man that just that just set me and sent me on a way man to um God really using me. I, I I found purpose there, you know. And so I didn't I didn't wait to get home to to live and enjoy life. I was living and enjoying life in prison, and and not because of mm. you know it makes no difference of your geographical location. What made a difference was 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 who was in me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes. And, and so, oh man, God began to use me, and before you know it, um. There was a Bible college there established in 1995. In 1999, I enrolled in a Bible college, um, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And, and I think it was um, 2005, I graduated um, with a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. And man, um, that just launched me off into leadership and just um, letting God use me there. Um, and so after you... Um, after you graduate, you have an opportunity to become an inmate minister. And so they give you different areas where you can just minister to God, just be there for them and just help them along the way. And man, God began to do some great things in me there. Well, my guest today on His People, Mr. Ronald Olivier, we're talking about 27 Summers, My Journey to Freedom, Forgiveness, and Redemption During My Time in Angola Prison. So Ronald, this is just amazing. You went into prison as a new Christian, and you lived those 27 summers, those 27 years in Angola prison as a Christian, and as you said, you, you, you attended Bible college in prison, the Lord gave you many opportunities there, and that is a prison. Um, my understanding is the, the, the warden has, has said it, uh, former warden, Burl Kane, that all the sentences there are life without parole. Nobody gets out of Angola prison. Right. That's that's correct. Um, when people go there, they they die there. Um, most of the inmates had, you know, life sentence, but a lot of guys had virtual life sentence. They got ninety nine years, hundred years. Some guy had six hundred and some years, and so it was virtual life. Um, and um, the average sentence there was like you had to have at least fifty years to qualify to even go there, and so. Um, you very rarely see someone go home, but it was common to see people die and they had funerals, you know, for them there. 
um, and they're buried on the on the state ground called. Mm-hmm. There's an area called Point Lookout, and they have funerals for them. And so, um, man, yeah, it was a very hard place to um, to really try to stay sane and. And, and it's nothing but the grace of God <laughs> that well, I did. Well, that's what I'd like to ask you. And there's so many things I want to ask you in the short time. But how did you, as you say, how did you stay sane? How did you maintain hope? I think for people who are in prison right now, I, th- that's got to be the major issue. How do you, how do you stay hopeful? Oh man, I, I I hid myself in Him. I I spent time with God. And he really covered me. He covered my mind, covered my heart, and and he gave me purpose there. And so I I was enjoying my life. Wow. You know, even in prison, you know, and um because I was helping people now, you know, um I um I've hurt a lot of people, you know, in my my life of crime, and you know the victims, the victim family, and so I had um really purpose in my heart that from that day forward. I was going to help people rather than hurt them. And man, um, it, it had been a major journey. Um, I ended up going on a missionary journey, you know, in prison, um, which is insane, you know. <laughs> so, and so what happens is you get an opportunity after you graduate also because um, inmate ministers were stacking up on each other. So God gave um, um, the, the warden this God idea to send send um um missionaries to other prisons to assist chaplains and the pastor churches so i went and i went and did that for like three and a half years and pastor the church and um in the prison assisted the chapel in the prison and i i believe this here if you could pastor the church in the prison you could pastor the church anywhere that's that is so <laughs> true because because you, you live with your members you're in a glass jaw you know and they're looking for something real you know, and so you have to, you have is imperative that you preach, um, um, that you walk what you talk, mm-hmm. you know, and um, they're watching all the time, you know, and there, there's no, there's no vacations, there's no sabbaticals you could do there, you know, and it's twenty four hour a day, yeah. man, this ministry. Well, you uh, you tell so much in your in your book, Twenty Seven Summers. People are are just going to have mm-hmm. to to read it because we're not going to be able to talk about. We're just going to be able to hit a few of the main points. Yes. I'm wondering here you, here you are. I'm talking to you. You obviously receive parole, and there's a couple of things I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you how you got parole, but also you had a conversation uh, with the mother of the young man you killed prior yes. to your parole hearing. What t- tell us what happened there? Oh man, um, twelve. In 2012, um, the United States Supreme Court came down with a ruling in Miller versus Alabama that said it was unconstitutional to give a juvenile a mandatory life sentence. Said that we should have some type of meaningful opportunity of freedom, that a juvenile was more than likely to be rehabilitated than an adult because of the um, the makeup the ju- the makeup of a juvenile's brain. The frontal lobe is not completely um, developed yet. And it's a part of the brand that helps you appreciate risk and consequences. And so that's why juveniles do some crazy things, you know, yep. because they don't understand risk and, and consequences. And so here it is. Um, when it came down with that ruling, that that made my sentence, my life sentence, um, unconstitutional. Mm. 
um, said it violated my um, Eighth Amendment, which was cruel and unusual punishment. And um, I had to be re-sentenced. And here it is, I'm going back and forth to court. So I go to court and one of the things um, um, the system does when you go into court, um, any type of offender who committed a crime, when they go into court, um, they have to um, alert the victim's family of any type of movement. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so here it is, um, I go to court and there's a lady on the front row staring at me. You know, I'm handcuffed, I'm shackled, and I keep looking. I don't want to stare at her. I know I look already scary with this on. And so I'm looking out my peripheral, trying to see if I remember her stuff. She looks familiar. And I'm like, man. And so my lawyer come over and say, man, oh, we got a problem. Um, we got some victim opposition. Um, the victim's um sister showed up. And I say, man, I say, no, that's not his sister. I say, that's his mother. Because mm. out of everyone in the courtroom, um, I can't even remember how they look. But his mother's face burned in my mind. And um, I can still see her right now crying on a, on a visit, on, on, um, on, a, on, a, on a witness stand um, about what I've done to her son. And, and so when I develop a prayer life, man, I... That's who I pray. I pray for her more than I pray for anybody. And so that was the pinnacle of my desires. Um, I wanted to one day meet her and just tell her. I didn't know how she was going to respond. Just let her know, man, I'm sorry for what I've done, you know. And, um, man, so I, I see an opportunity there, what I've been praying about. And so I tell my lawyer, man, look, see if I can have this dialogue with her. He goes over, come back to DA, talks to her come back and say she's she don't want to talk that what she's going to say she's going to stay on, say on the witness stand and so it just so happened that the court date was set back to the following month and so um that gave me a lot of more time to pray <laughs> i just went to praying even harder and and the next time i went to court she requested that we talk mm. and man i i um got a chance to talk to her um it, the hardest, most difficult conversation I ever had in my life. Um, I told her, um, I was, the first thing I told her, I said, I take responsibility for the death of your son. Before I said that, when she sat down, she, uh, her arms were full, she was staring at me. And when I said that, she released her arms, took a deep breath and exhale and leaned toward me. And I said, I said, I, I have absolutely no excuse. I say it was very senseless. Um, it was very um, stupid of me. One of the worst decisions I ever made. I said, I just hope you can find it somewhere in your heart to forgive me. And she said, um, man, she said, I don't hate you. She said, and I forgive you. Mm. And I believe you deserve a second chance. Um, wow. Powerful, um, man. And so um, even though I was handcuffed in shackles, Man, I, I felt so liberated. I felt like those things came off of me, you know. Yeah. Um, and man, um, I ended up getting re-sentenced to parole eligibility. Um, November the eighth, twenty eighteen, went on the board, got granted parole. And November the thirtieth, um, I walked out against my fifth year <laughs> oh. of being free. You Congratulations. Know? My, my freedom bursary <laughs> <laughs> and so um man it, it's been great a christmas present and so 
Yes. And so um later get a call when I get home um from, from Burl Kane, who's now the commissioner. He's looking for chaplains. And he asked me to be the director of chaplaincy at Mississippi State Penitentiary. I take the job. And man, God do some great things through me there. Just in April, I made a transition. I'm not there anymore. I'm in Baton Rouge. I'm working for the Louisiana Parole Project. And so when I discharged, I went through the Louisiana Parole Project. They help you make the um, transition from prison to home with wraparound service. Just give you a great start. And so it just it's just amazing that I come full circle and I'm helping guys make transitions from prison to home. Well, I know I have to let you go, but I, I, I just have to ask, what advice would you give to families, uh, loved ones of those who are men and women who are currently incarcerated? What, what, what would you say to them? And then what would you say if there's somebody who's incarcerated who's listening to this, but both sides? Um, the families, I, I, I would encourage you, man, just to keep praying and to trust God. Because um, this is something beyond you uh, that you can control. But God got a plan. He always up to something. And and to the um guys who are incarcerated, man, don't ever give up. You know, I don't care how much time you have, what you what you have done, what's your past, man. Just allow God to work on you to change your heart and your desires. And um man, he he's gonna he he'll give you the desires of your heart, man, when you become be at peace with him. And so, man, give him your life. I encourage you just to give him your life whole heart and he'll change your situation. But you got to so change. You know, a lot of people want their situation to change, but they don't want to change. When you change, then your situation to change. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Ronald Olivier. He works with the Louisiana Parole Project and he's author of 27 Summers. My Journey to Freedom, Forgiveness, and Redemption During My Time in Angola Prison. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Erica Anderson on why many women are leaving the church and inviting them to return. And so I just say, open your mind and free yourself from the pressure of something that you have to do and be willing to step into something and let God lead you without feeling like you have to know exactly what you're doing before you do it. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.